In the past three years since moving to town, we've painted most of the inside of our house uh, to make it feel like our own and including the, the room here. Uh, and we've, we've chosen to paint it gray, uh, passive gray by Sherman Williams to be specific. It's, it's flat sheen, feels warm during winters, yet cool enough in the summer. It doesn't seem to offend the pictures or uh, paintings we have up. And you can push or pull the tone slightly just by adjusting the lighting. It handles blues, wood tones, white whites, and black blacks. And it brings in enough sunshine where it feels crisp and clean. It's flexible, balanced, and it makes me feel content. Kate and I painted a bathroom once in our old house. Well, actually, we kind of painted it several times. I had cleaned and primed it and went for this really white, white, but it felt too cold. And so we wanted to really go for it and make a, a bold statement. Uh, Kate brought home this orange. It actually was kind of like a, a blaze hunter orange. We put it up and whoa. So we primed again so we could hit this pink that really looked nice in pictures, but it was in the end, well, pink. So we went back to Lowe's, pulled out the rollers, and then finally painted it gray. It's a sign, I think, that I spend too much time in the gray, to the point that if you were to ask me if I was an absolutist or a relativist, I would answer I see the truth in, in both sides. This is troublesome, especially when being an engineer, because even though I deal with sciences and physics, I still seek the gray area and variation of material properties, accuracy of boundary conditions and analysis, open-ended design requirements, and even or especially timelines. Do you really need it by the 13th, like the whole thing? So when talking today about no, it makes me feel a little uneasy, if not a little fearful, because I feel like no is a big word. There's nothing more no than no. It's not relative at all. It's the knowest of responses, like there's nothing less than nothing. And yes, who uses yes? I, I mean, sure, I'll, I'll say yes, but only if I completely understand the terms and conditions of which that yes entails. Am I going to deliver by the 13th? Yes. You will probably find most of your important requirements met around then. There are some examples that I can reflect on when saying these big words, yes and no. Perhaps no is easier. I'm not going to let my son Lewis crossed the road by himself. He's three today, by the way. So I will hold his hand. I won't let him hurt another person, even when he is mad. So I will use um, and, and teach him to use his words. And yes, well, in the most semantic, romantic arena, I'm going to stick by Kate until my heart's no longer beating. That is a big yes. But in reflection, and, and perhaps in yours, we may feel like we could do better. Because though I believe in my heart that there's this absolute no to treating someone unequal due to the color of their skin or social status, it's kind of hard to find areas in my life where I, on a regular basis, say yes to equality. I do feel a no in the role police have become in our society, but I do struggle to a point to know how I actively say yes to strengthening social services and improving my community.
I feel a strong no to consumerism and an accrual of things, yet it's often hard to find yes, to find local solutions or to do more with less. It, perhaps it's almost this fear of the absolute yes, which keeps my nose a little softer and allows me to stay in the gray. Come, let us listen. Man, why do I, I don't know if I need to say anything more. Uh, you know, this morning I was looking for my wonder box and then I remembered I'm a minister. And so I'm also a magician that has a little bit of things up my sleeve. It wasn't up my sleeve, I swear. But I did find this. It is a ruler. And I'm not usually one to follow rules, but it is a ruler. I've had it for a long time. Those of you who are engineers, I suppose, or uh, anyone who likes to measure things or uh, draw straight lines, this might be important. But anytime I see a ruler, I go back to my math days. I think I've said this before that at one point in life, I was eight years old, I wanted to be a math teacher when I grew up. I really loved math. And even though I didn't really understand exactly what it entailed to be a teacher, I liked school and I liked learning. I think that's true. And I really resonated with math. I've actually had quite a few, a few teachers over the day, over the years. Probably the most influential uh, math teacher I had was this guy. You can see him with his dog, Mr. Barry. Mr. Barry, he was my sixth grade math teacher at uh, Roosevelt Creative Arts Middle School. And, and Mr. Barry uh, really opened for me the joy and wonder of, of math. And I was looking for this other picture before the service today because I really wanted to show you another person but I think his age kind of, I don't know, or something, he kind of missed the Facebook era. And like, I think he might be, uh, uh, I don't know, untraceable because I looked all over the internet and couldn't find a picture of Mr. Rebar. Reber, Mr. Reber. I say Rebar a lot now because of my systems thinking. But Mr. Reber uh, was my ninth, 10th, and 11th grade math teacher. And I took, I, I really resonated with him. In some ways he was this um, jolly, joy-filled, energetic, older man who, um, who really showed me the, the fun that a learning environment could be for math. And one of the uh, classes I took with him was, was uh, geometry and one of them was calculus. And one of the things that I'm getting to my point is that he talked a lot about um, uh, theorems or equations and formulas that had certain qualifications. Okay, so what that means is if this, then that, right? So that that is, I don't know if I'm doing this math right, this, this right, but if is a qualifier that qualifies something that we might be trying to prove. And then of course, the other one was this, I'm sure for the English teachers, uh, you know, horribly misspelled word, I-F-F, -F, which stood for, of course, if 
and only if, which like, I don't understand that, if. Then the other one was and, this and this have to be true for this to be true, or buts. Buts were exceptions. There might be a, an exceptions to the rules. And I really started resonating with some of these words. I, I'm not sure what their part of speech is. We'll let Ann Heron, you know, tell me afterwards. Ifs, ands, or buts. I started really resonating with that. And I've been thinking about that a lot uh, this week as Kevin and I have been um, thinking about this topic of bridging no to yes. And really thinking about what are we committed uh, uh, to oppose, you know, a, a strong no. And what are we opposed, or what are we committed to saying yes to? Committed to no, committed to yes. And how do we bridge the two in a way? My sense is that many of us have very strong no's in our life. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I also expect that there are some of us who have some very strong yeses in our lives. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I think in this community, one of the things we do, no matter your age, no matter you're three years old, like Lewis, or you're 90 years old, or anywhere in between, I hope that we can bring our strong no's, our strong yeses, and everything in between into this place so that we can grow and tend to our commitments. Because it's not always set in stone, as Kevin named. Sometimes it shapeshifts, it moves, it evolves in time. Sometimes, sometimes our no and our yes need to speak together. And when we do so, then we become less polarized and we actually move towards adapting the situation that is before us. So whether you're a math person, an English person, whether you had a Mr. Barry or someone else, uh, whether you're an engineer or an artist, I hope that this morning and this month, you're able to open to the possibilities of those yeses and nos being closer allies and friends than you first imagined. While it's important to have those unconditional, if no ifs, ands, or buts about it commitments, it's also important to do some self-reflection about how our negative and positive commitments are related. And I really hope that that guy's doing well. I should reach out to him and tell him the influence he's had on my life. I have a voice. It is a small voice perhaps but it will not be silenced. When you call for black people to be beaten and excluded and even removed, I will say no. When you attempt to silence Latinx voices, I will say no. When you mock the disabled and threaten the oppressed, I will say no. When you shout your plans for exclusion and division and terror over and over again, I will say no and no and no. If you build a wall, I will stand in the way of your builders. If they knock me down to the ground, I will lie in their path 
If you come for my Muslim siblings, I will force you to take me first, and I will not go quietly. I will say no. If you ask that they register, I will be Muslim or Jewish or Black or Baha'i, and I will be at the head of the line over and over, which each thing that you do, you will hear my voice ringing in the stillness, saying no. In case you were wondering, no, I am not a gymnast. I know, it's shocking, right? Yeah, I'm sorry to break it to you. I guess I was just meant for other things growing up, like theater and choir or wearing shorts throughout the winter in Wisconsin. Growing up, I just didn't take that path to become a gymnast. But even so, every four years, without fail, I would tune in to watch the Summer Olympics and specifically the gymnastics events. I was impressed by the awesomeness and giftedness these athletes embodied. Truly, I thought, how can they do what they do? How can their bodies bend and move, flip and twirl, run and stop on a dime? Magnificence is the word I would choose to describe what young women and men around the country and world have devoted their lives to. One of the underrated moves, in my opinion, I always found, but I always found so cool, was this back bend. You might see it in the balance beam or floor competitions. It's like the gymnastics just bend backwards somehow, like all the way back, not forward, not forward like your spine wants to do, but back that way and almost create a sort of bridge from their feet to their hands, a back bending bridge. And of course, that's what's impressive, that it is a back bending bridge rather than a back breaking bridge. That must be the key, the important fine print to bend backwards all the way to create this bridge and yet not break along the way. I've been thinking about this image, this back bend, and this physical and metaphorical tension and strain that gymnasts embody, and perhaps we do sometimes as well, a tension in which we contort our bodies and our hearts to bend, but not to break and to create bridges from the ordinary to the extraordinary. No matter how easy Simone Biles makes it look, I know one thing to be true, to pull off a backbend, a bridge, or any of these magnificent feats, it requires a whole lot of commitment. Commitment to stretching, to practice, to taking care of one's body and mind and spirit. It takes commitment 
and a bit of risk to bend back without sight of where you are headed and know that the ground will meet your hands on the other side of the bend. This month, we will explore the theme of commitment and the ways in which we embody and practice this discipline. For truly, it is a discipline, like becoming a gymnast, an artist, a teacher, or even a Unitarian Universalist. This discipline of making commitments and sticking to them and returning to them when we come up short is easier said than done. But I believe commitments, commitment is in part why we are all here, why we have found this community and this congregation. We are here because we long to live lives of commitment. Perhaps this month will be a reminder of how you came to be a part of this community how you came to hold the commitments that you do and how you might hold these commitments with greater awareness, compassion, and loyalty in the days to come. Today, uh, we will begin with the backbend, the bridge of commitment between what is before us what is in front of us, be behind us. I want us to use this metaphor to begin our month of commitment by focusing on the two types of commitments we can make in life. In short, we can make negative commitments and positive commitments. A negative commitment is a commitment against something is a commitment against something, a commitment in opposition of some belief, action, or policy. Negative commitments are defined by the word no. So we say, I am against this. I am anti that. On the other hand, a positive commitment is a commitment to something, a commitment in support of some belief, action, or policy. Positive commitments are defined by the word yes. So we say, I am for this, I am pro that, okay? Now this isn't just some quirky word play, but in fact, it is an essential part of how we come to discover what or to whom we are committed to or against in this life. And I wanna share briefly why each type both of these commitments are important. And don't let the negative or positive qualifier fool you, as you'll see soon. Our shared reading this morning uh, that Kevin offered articulates that it is critical to know and voice what we are against. My colleague, the Reverend Amy Shaw, who serves the UU congregation in Des Moines, Iowa proclaims, quote, I have a voice. It is a small voice, perhaps, but it will not be silenced. When you call for Black people to be beaten and excluded and even removed, I will say no. 
When you attempt to silence Latinx voices, I will say no. When you mock the disabled and threaten the oppressed, I will say no. When you shout your plans for exclusion and division and terror over and over again, I will say no and no and no, end quote. In Reverend Shaw's use of the word no, she is making a commitment against racialized violence, against exclusion and deportation, against ableism, oppression, and terror. Over and over again, she will say no and no and no to these things because she is committed to push back against these actions and these behaviors in society. And it's so important to know what we are committed against. For often, that which we are fighting against can shapeshift and change into all types of worthy oppositions. For example, our eighth ends statement at UUCCI states that as individuals, as a congregation and in the wider world, we will side with love to overcome injustice in all its forms. We have stated that in this congregation, we are committed to overcoming, to push back against all manifestations of injustice. And because of this intersectional, these multiple and compounding types of oppression, we are on the lookout for them, these oppressions, so that they can be addressed and overcome even just a little bit wherever and whenever we encounter them. Many of you may have come to UUCCI because of something you experienced in your life or in society that caused you to just, just to want to just move away from that. Sexism or racism, passive faith, global disregard, hypocrisy, and ad hominem judgment. These may be some of the things that brought you here to UUCCI or have brought you to cultivate some of your most dear friendships in life. A desire to be in relationships with others who want to push back against these things, these ways of being, and who want to commit instead to do better and be better in this life. I know the world has changed a lot since November, 2016. Crisis after crisis, shocking, shocking and awful news one after another, after another. It has been a trying four years. And yet, if you can recall back to that election night, something profoundly painful and powerful was likely moving within your heart that night. And in the days, weeks, months, and years since, I expect much of what was moving inside you and inside this congregation was coming to understand what our commitments were as individuals and collectively. In times of trauma and grief, 
In times of loss and exhaustion, humans often begin to define their commitments by what they're against. It's about survival. It's about making it through the tough times. And what do these negative commitments look like? Well, to borrow a phrase from the Supreme Court, you know it when you see it. You know what you are committed to resist when you see it before you or on the news or you read about it or you hear about it, you know, you know. And it is from that knowing that you commit to resist. So that's how I think about negative commitments. They are essential, important, and they emerge from a deep knowing, a wisdom within you. Positive commitments are a little different, but they are connected to negative commitments. And I think often they come secondary to our negative commitments, not always, but in my experience often. As I said earlier, positive commitments are the things that we are committed to, the things and people, the values and beliefs that we support and commit our lives and our work to seeing flourish. Back to that odd opening metaphor I began with. Think of the gymnasts before they engage in the backbend, before they reach back to form a bridge. Facing forward, straight up and down, they stand balanced, looking ahead. I like to imagine they are facing that which they are committed against, committed to resist. They are rising and facing off against that which they oppose, that which is before them. But then, in a profound case of restraint and perhaps wisdom, they don't leap forward. They don't leap at which must be opposed at that which must be opposed to what or whom we must say no. No, instead, they reach backwards, the gymnast. They lean back with nothing but memory and courage, no sight, no safeguards just the hope that their hands will meet the solid earth and they will become grounded once more. I like to think of that bending back as an extending and bridging of oneself from that which one faces, that which, that which uh, is before them, backwards to what is behind them, to which one stands, and to which stands before, behind them. So before is kind of something I want to explore. I, I love this word, and you know I love words, so I couldn't resist. To stand before someone in front of them. To stand before someone, something to offer love and protection, loyalty and commitments, no ifs, ands, or buts about it before. Or in other words, or rather two words, be for. Be for that which you stand on guard before. 
that you protect and cherish, that you will defend and side with in all you do, to be for something is a compliment towards those things we rise up against. And yet it can be easy to forget what is behind us or even beside us for which we are in front of when we are focused solely on our negative, worthy commitments in life, that which we are pushing back against. But we can't forget. We cannot forget to turn back, to lean back, dare I say, bend back and notice what we are fighting for, what values and differences we want to make what differences we want to make real in this lifetime. By bending backwards, we can create a bridge between these commitments, a bridge that can complete this connection and help orient us of where we are and what we are called to do, what we are called to do, act. Returning to our eighth end statement for a minute, as I mentioned, the negative commitment in it is to overcome injustice in all its forms, right? To overcome injustice in all its forms. That is the negative commitment, what we are committed against. The positive commitment, a quite profound one, can easily be overshadowed in the melee of all the discrimination, violence, and injustice in the world, not just the last four years, but for centuries and centuries before us. Do you remember the positive commitment from what I said a little earlier, our eighth end? As individuals, as a congregation, and in the wider world, we side with love. We side with love. We commit as individuals, as a congregation, and in the wider world to side with love. Wherever we go, however our lives unfold, here at UUCCI or beyond our congregation, we will side with love. That is a powerful commitment, one that is no less or no more important than the commitment to overcome injustice in all its forms. In fact, the two complete one another. The injustices we work against and the love that is at our backs and at our sides, truly that surrounds us in a loving embrace for what we do and for whom we must do it. Feel that love now. Feel that love now as you consider your commitments in this life. Breathe in that love to remember to what or whom you are for and to what things you must resist. May this month be an invitation to return to the balance beam and to the rigors of life 
to the discipline needed to live a life that is loving. May this life, this life be for love. May it be for love. May it be so. And amen.